Just wanted to uh, welcome you all to the house. I don't know if there's anybody here for the first time, but um, we're glad you're here. And uh, we've got, I think, four Tuesdays left before the end of the semester. Can you all believe that? And um, I know that you all just started thinking about your syllabi of your classes and freaked out, but bear with me. I'm David Burke, the director here. And, um, you know, it's been a while since we've said, what are we here for as a staff? And, and uh, we just, uh, we wanted to remind everybody that, um, you know, Jason and Kirsten and me and the, the four interns um, are here to meet with y'all, um, grab lunch, cup of coffee, talk about life. Um, you don't have to have a question about the Bible. Sometimes I get that, that for somebody to meet with me, they think they have to have a question about the Bible. I mean, I'd, I'd love to talk about fantasy football if you'd like, um, because I dominate at it. But anyway, um, so just know that we're here to, to hang out with y'all and, and get to know what God's doing in your life. So, so I know it's been a while for some of you, um, and certainly since the beginning of the semester, what are we, in week eight, nine, something like that? Um, Maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I want you to think about the first college party you ever went to. First college party you ever went to. Um, if you, uh, you walk in, and I'd, uh, I didn't hear what was said, and I'll just keep moving along. Um, so you walk in, and I don't know if it's a, a dorm room or a lounge or somebody's house or it's a fraternity or sorority, whatever it is, whatever you picture in your head. And if it's like most of the college parties that I went to back in the day, um, there was music, pretty loud, right? And, and you walk in, and if you're a girl, a guy usually comes up to you and hands you a solo cup and says, can I get you something to drink? If you're a guy walking in, um, the guys usually just go, sup, and um, it's over there. Beer's over there, a keg's over there, or whatever. And during the first hour, uh, the music's loud, but that's fine. Um, and the, you know, beer or whatever the beverage of choice is, is flowing, okay? And everybody seems to be having a good time. And you're like, all right, so this is college. This is a college party, all right. Um, and you see slowly, you know, guys and girls kind of, you know, start to single off or whatever. There are some girls that, that made up their minds beforehand, stick by me, don't ever leave me, all that kind of stuff, right? And so they, they're like glued at the shoulder, and that's good. Um, so the first hour, everybody's fine, right? By the second hour, what do you start to see? The music's still loud, and maybe it's starting to get a little bit annoying because you're having to yell to even talk, right? And um, so the beverages are still flowing, and then this is the hour, isn't it, where you, where you start to see the couples in a corner either start fighting with one another or, um, or maybe having that deep conversation, and, and, uh, and then you see some couples start leaving the party and all that kind of stuff. Third hour, it's a mess. Let's just be honest. The music is still loud, but now people are starting to stumble around, and, and your friend that said, dude, don't, whatever you do, don't let me get with that girl, is with that girl, and um, it's an absolute train wreck, right? And somewhere in there, if you somehow manage to stay sober through those three hours, um, part of you probably wonders, so is this what it means to celebrate? in college. Is this what it means to celebrate? When I went to college, a small college in California, what I just described to you 
was basically what I saw. And I was the guy that didn't drink, and honestly, not because I was a Christian. My dad, as I shared here, was an alcoholic, and I was scared to death of the stuff. So I, I was afraid of what it would do to me or, and my family. And so I'd only been a Christian about a year before I went to college. I didn't have any sort of Bible verses or anything to support not drinking or whatever. I just was like, no, I'm not touching that stuff. So I was that guy that went with my friends and observed everything. And I, I remember one time in particular, um, my friend Tom, who is a six foot four hockey player from Minnesota, who drank way too much. And it was probably about that third hour where we had to talk him into, come on, Tom, we need to go. Come on, let's, let's go. And, and I remember holding his head as he was throwing up on somebody's nice BMW. And um, um, I have no idea what happened to the paint job on that after that. But um, I remember that. I was that guy that held my friend's head as they were throwing up. And then another friend of mine named Dave, these are their actual names, and they're probably not listening, so it's okay. Um, but the next morning... Dave was the guy that came up to me and said, Dave, seriously, never, ever, ever let me do that again. Because he got together with a girl that he had no interest in, but they both had too much to drink, and that's what happens, right? And after witnessing basically four years of those kind of parties, I sat there and I wondered to myself, so this is what it means to celebrate. This is what it means. Now, in this Hear me right, hear me right, that I'm not up here as the Christian pastor guy judging these parties. I went to all of them, and I'm here to say, let us ask the question for a minute. Is there, is this what it means to celebrate? Is this what it means to celebrate? Let's be honest for a minute. A lot of horrible things happen at these parties. Some of you, is, even as I'm talking about it, I, I'm, I'm treading lightly here because some things happened at a party like that that you'll never forget. There were regrets. There were things that you can't even bear to think about. And yet, on the college campus, this is what it means to celebrate? Last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus in the Gospel of John, turning water into 180 gallons of wine. And we talked about how God loves to celebrate. He loves to celebrate. And if you remember at the very end of that talk, I asked us to, to consider this. Is, is our faith, is our belief in God more like we believe that we have to think certain things, believe certain things, know certain things, and behave a certain way in order for God to approve of us as if we were taking a test in a classroom to get a passing grade. Do we believe that our faith is such that it's more like we're in a classroom, we have to be the right way, do the right things in order for God to give us a passing grade? Or could it be that instead of all that, God has invited us to a party. He's invited us to a party, but not the ones that I just described. It's entirely different. And tonight we're going to look at three stories that Jesus told 
in the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 15. And as we've done all semester, we're looking at, if you've been around church at all, these might sound like familiar stories. If they're not familiar to you, we're going to walk through them all the way. So don't worry about that. But as I was sharing earlier with the worship team, what's interesting is that these three stories are all about celebration in the end. But the two stories even before this are also parables or stories about parties. Jesus seemed to have something about celebrating and parties. And I don't know how many of us think of him in that way. So tonight we're going to explore some of these teachings. And before we jump into the first of these three parables, let me say something about what a parable is. Um, Jesus used this this device, this, this thing of telling a story called a parable because he wanted to make one, usually one point. And that point was made to make you think. It, was, it, it usually had an ending or a twist to it that made you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what did you just say? Because that's not what I was expecting the story to end up like. And yet what we often do with parables, and I've probably been guilty of this too in my own teaching and preaching, is that we go, okay, so this, if the story's about a bear and a tiger, the bear represents us and the tiger represents God or something like that, that's not, we need to not do that with parables, Okay. So let me just get that out of the way for a minute because some of us, as we start reading this, we'll start going, okay, so what's the sheep and what's the coin? So don't do that. Jesus is trying to teach us something and we need to listen for what surprises us in this story. So we're gonna look at Luke 15. The first story that Jesus tells is about a man and some sheep. So Zach, can we put up the, here we go. So this is the context of it. All the tax collectors and the sinners the kind of the outcasts of society, the people, honestly, if I could make this comparison, those of us that would go to a college party and see the people that are sleeping around and get drunk at every party, this is them. Jesus is attracting these people. So the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law muttered, by the way, that might be us, in this room, um, <clears throat> this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Big no-no in ancient Near East culture. To eat with people basically meant you accepted their lifestyle. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So let's look at this story for a moment. Jesus is telling a story about a shepherd, somebody that has sheep. And he's got a hundred of them. And one of them wanders off. And Jesus says, Wouldn't one of you... Go off and find that lost one. Now, I want you to stop and think for a moment. Let's say you're running a sheep herding business, okay? And you have a 100% success rate, okay? And you're running the business really well. Well, would you leave 99% of your business behind in the open country to go after 1%? 
How many of us are, I won't ask you to raise your hand, how many business majors in here have been taught, hey, you get rid of all 99% of your employees, 99% of your profits, 99% of your whole business stake, and you go after the 1%? No one. So when Jesus said, wouldn't you all do this? Now, we all hear it because we've been in church for so long, and we're like, oh, yeah, goes, Jesus goes after the one, all that kind of stuff. But you need to understand that when Jesus was saying this thing, this was shocking. Because Jesus was saying, how many of you would leave 99? But the sheep wanders off. But that's not necessarily the point, as we're going to soon see from the other two stories. It isn't just, just about going to find the one that is lost. It's not just about that. Because think about this for a moment. The shepherd goes off, finds the sheep, and, and one of the pictures I kind of wanted to put up is, is if you've been around any sort of church building, there's probably one painting of Jesus with a sheep around his neck, gently carrying it back, okay? It's a beautiful picture. But there's more to this parable than that scene. Because what the shepherd then does is fascinating. He finds the one sheep, and it would be like a, a business owner that, that may, you know, finally got that last part that he should have never lost or she should have never lost in the first place back and decides to celebrate because of that. Calls the shareholders and the stock you know, people together and then go, hey, hey, we, we kind of messed up because we let one go and we brought it back together, so we're going to throw a big party. He calls everybody together and says, rejoice, rejoice. And I'll get to the, the repentant and the sinner part next because we, we'll, we'll see it again in a moment. So Jesus goes on to tell another example. And, and by the way, this is the, I'm going to make this point that the parable isn't necessarily about being lost, but that's often how we talk about it. It's not necessarily about being lost, but it's interesting that Jesus uses, in these next two stories, three different kinds of being lost. The sheep wanders off. It got distracted. It, it leaves the crowd. It went after something shiny, and before it knew it, it was off and alone. How many of you ever had a friend like that? That all, you were tight, you were in the group all the time, and all of a sudden they wandered off. You don't know where they went, you don't know who they're hanging out with, or maybe you know who they're hanging out with, but they're never to be heard of from again, it seems. That's that person, that's that sheep. Distracted, wanders off, went after something shiny. Before it knows it, it's in danger. One thing that I thought was interesting is that why, would, why would Jesus tell the story about 99, leaving 99 in the open country? Well, maybe those 99 have each other, but the one that wanders off has no one. So Jesus goes after the ones that are alone. So we're going to move on to the next story that he tells. A different kind of being lost, but he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now let me paint the picture here. Here's a woman. 
In some translations, it talks about a widow, a woman that, that has no, in that culture, other sustenance. She's working on her own. And most commentators think that these 10 silver coins that she has is her savings. She has saved up this money. Any of you that worked hard this summer to pay off school loans or to, or to have enough money to, to, to make it, you knew exactly how much money you came to school with and it's dwindling away very quickly, right? As you eat the, all you can eat at crossroads like every day. So um, maybe you don't do that, but stay with me. Um, so the, the one coin, it, it's, it, it, no fault of its own, it gets lost. Jesus doesn't say how, but it's a coin. It doesn't have any will of its own. It slips through the cracks. It falls down somewhere. But the woman knows that she's missing it. So she tears apart the house to find it. But get this. How many of you, if you knew that some of your savings were lost, was lost, when you found it, would then turn around and throw a party? Honestly. This is your hard-earned money. You've been saving this up, and now you're going to turn around and throw a party with it? It doesn't make sense. You've been saving it. You've worked hard for it. You need it for later. And you found it, and you're going to throw a party? Do you see what Jesus is trying to do here? A shepherd that works hard to keep his sheep, a woman that has worked hard and all she can survive on are these 10 silver coins. She loses one. She's frantic and she finds it and she's so happy she gets extravagant with it. What is this saying? Let me get to the thing that is true in in these two stories. I think it's also true in the third one, though it doesn't get said. Jesus says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, you and me, who repents, literally changes their mind. The 99 righteous people, think, those that think that they don't need any sort of saving. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one who changes their mind. If I can interpret that a little bit. The joy of heaven is so loud and celebration rings out so greatly When one person discovers that the life of the party is found in the Lord of the party. When one person discovers that the life of the party is found in the Lord of the party, then heaven is celebrating as well. Let's go to the third story. Jesus goes on a whole other kind of lostness, and this might be the story that many of us are familiar with, artists, Throughout the centuries have portrayed this. If you go to the sculpture garden down on Bluffview, there's a beautiful sculpture of a man welcoming home his son from this. Jesus continued and says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Let me stop for a moment. That might sound like, oh, no big deal. But in that culture, that, that boy, that son, was basically saying, Dad, Give me what I would get as if you were dead. As if you were dead, give me what would be mine right now. I want it. Because I think the life I get to live when you're dead is going to be way better than what I'm living now. You see the offense in that? But that's what he says to his dad. He says, give me my share of the estate. Here's what's crazy. 
The father does it. He goes, he divided his property between them, and not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see what gets missed in this speech, though? The son wanted to say, make me like one of your hired servants, but the father would not have it. He says, the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now here's the warning. Meanwhile, The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father... Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a powerful story. You see, this younger son was lost because he wanted to be. He made himself lost. He, he asked to, that his father basically would be dead and give him his inheritance early. And he willfully went away from the father and everything that he knew And spent it all. Spent it all. And do you see the contrast here? In wild living with prostitutes and imagined alcohol and drinking, all that kind of stuff. Sleeping around. And yet the father welcomes him back and throws a different kind of party. Celebrate. There's more joy in heaven than the, the, 
the celebration in heaven rings out so loud when one person discovers that the life of the party isn't out there, but it's in the Lord of the party. When the son comes to his senses, like I pointed out, he had the speech all prepared. He was dead to being the father's son. And he just wanted to be a servant, but the father said, no, you are still my son. Put the robe on him, the ring, that means he's my son, and we will celebrate. Now, I want you to get this. What's missing from the story is any semblance of all, at all of the father going, and don't do it again. And that's what we think about God, isn't it? We mess up. God couldn't possibly throw a party. All God's going to say is, don't do it again. Jesus doesn't tell that parable. The shocking thing is, and you have to be shocked at this, that somebody that lived like that gets everything back again. The elder brother has a right to be angry, doesn't he? He was dutiful. He did the right thing. He worked hard. He was keeping the father's business alive while the son was no longer there to help him. How many of you feel, don't raise your hand, like the older brother sometimes? Been working hard, doing the right thing, believing the right things, acting the right way, and yet it seems that everybody else is having more fun than you. You see that the older brother had a speech in his mind for a long time? He did. He had the speech about, you, you can imagine it, th th these kind of speeches don't just come out spontaneously. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've been doing all this stuff and you never gave me anything for my friends. That's the kind of speech that comes from deep of having to get it pushed down all the time because I'm doing it right, I'm doing it right, I'm doing it right. And then when finally you get a chance to answer and you feel that something has been unjust in your life, that comes out. And he says, this son of yours, he goes and spends it all on prostitutes and wild living and youth do this for him? You wonder if, if, if the son had been practicing, the older son had been practicing this speech in case the father ever came to him and said, Hey, oldest son, you think I did the wrong thing by giving your younger brother this? Yeah, you did. Because I've been doing this, this, and this, and you never did anything for me. But the father goes out and pleads with the son and tries to tell him, look, celebration really comes when we understand that we're lost and there's someone that's coming to find us. That's when we celebrate. It's, um, I don't know if I've captured at all what, what I think is just the radical story that Jesus is telling there. That it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ridiculous to leave 99 at risk to go find one and throw a party. To sweep and upset your whole house to find one coin 
that you know is worth something, and then to take your hard-earned money and throw a party and to celebrate somebody that has lived so sinfully and throw a party. But Jesus was saying, this is what his father is like. All of those things. There is rejoicing with our father when we realize no matter what the cause of our lostness is, that God wants to invite us to his party. So some of us, some of us got lost along the way because we got distracted. We went after something shiny or someone shiny and we got distracted. Before we knew it, we were off in an open field and someone needed to come and bring us back. Some of us are like the coin that slipped through the cracks. Maybe nobody even noticed that we were gone, that we were missing. Until the one that had been saving for you and the one that did notice came looking for you. And some of us, some of us are like that younger son that said, God forgets you. I don't want what you have. I don't need what you have. I want what I want, and I want it now. And out of rebellion to him and everyone else, we went away. There's also a fourth kind of lostness at the eldest son. Those of us that have tried so hard, so hard to be perfect, to believe the right things, to think the right things, to do the right things, as if we were living our faith in a classroom taking a test. So no matter what kind of lost you are, I am, God comes and finds. We'll come looking for you. We'll come running to you. We'll embrace you and throw a party. That's what kind of God he is. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is simply that simply that your heart through these stories of your son these parables that we would get the message that you love to celebrate when we discover that you in you is life and life abundantly in you is celebration and celebration more than we could ever ask or think. No matter what we've done, no matter what has been done to us, that you are longing to celebrate with us. So Father, tonight, wherever any of us are, would we take comfort in the fact that you are searching looking, and you will find, and you will celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen.